Well, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What a privilege it is to be here and a chance to uh, thank you, Pastor Tim, preach this morning and uh, be part of an important ministry of the Pacific Southwest District. I'd like to just take a second because you opened the door and boy, that's one I want to walk through, but yes, you are part of something bigger. And the reason I always emphasize that every place I go is because we forget that very quickly. We become very parochial. We begin to think about, this is where I'm at. I go to St. John's. It's my church. There's no other church in the world like St. John's, and so I ignore everything else. Well, you are part of an entire church body, and as Pastor Tim said, of of 6,000 congregations, almost 2 million people with influence all over the world, and 35 districts like ours, and we're the fourth largest district. There are 72,000 of you around the almost 300 congregations of our district. What you may not know, which is something I like to, uh, I guess brag is a nice word well okay I like to brag about around the synod is that the Pacific Southwest District has more schools preschool through high school than any other district in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod we have made that commitment we have over 21,000 students in our schools every single day that they're meeting What an incredible ministry, what an incredible influence that we get to bring together for the gospel. And I just want to say thank you to St. John's for being a partner with the Pacific Southwest District as we work together to influence, to resource congregations and schools for your mission and your ministry. And I thank you also for sharing, Pastor Tim, for all those years as one of the vice presidents of our district and a member of our board of directors. His leadership is still felt, and I'll let you figure out what all that means. Right? This morning I want to talk to you primarily out of the gospel lesson, but I want to pick it up out of what is being communicated by the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians in this third chapter because he certainly describes a rather mature, incredible faith that I think every single one of us would want to have. If you've got your bulletin there, look at it with me again in the epistle on page four, where it says in the middle of that first paragraph, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to do what? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than, we, than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And boy, what a great... Amen, right? Let it be so is what that means to us. Immeasurably more than we can even imagine. How in the world do you get a faith like that? Because I really want to have that. I want to have that at the level where it never, ever weakens, never, ever fails. Every time it gets tested, it stands firm, strong, and there isn't one little bit of hesitation in me. 
But you know what? Like you, there's enough sin going on inside of me that there's still those moments when I do also, like you, take my eyes off of Jesus and we start seeing the issues and the challenges and we miss what he would want us to do in grabbing hold of that faith that says, all right, bring it on, let's live confidently for Jesus. I see in this gospel lesson in Mark 6 where the disciples were still learning what this kind of faith was about. They were still trying to grasp and understand what was happening in front of them. And like us, the disciples are going to learn faith and learn its application by living life and by struggling a little bit along the way. Now, if you were to look at the gospel lesson with me again, you'd see at the very beginning of it, it says that Jesus immediately told them to get into the boat without him and go ahead to Bethsaida. Now, it's important for us to just kind of take a minute and figure out what's really going on and where's this whole geographical sense of what's in the moment. They're on the Sea of Galilee. They've been up in the Capernaum area, and west of Capernaum is the traditional site for the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe some of you toured in Israel as we have, and you've had a chance to be there and to sit on that holy mountain and to see the Sea of Galilee out into the distance. And Jesus, as immediately after they have finished this feeding of the 5,000, immediately after they have packed up all that leftover bread and baskets, Immediately as they're trying to process, what did we just see? Jesus says, go get in the boat and go on to Bethsaida. I'll see you there later. Now, in the map, you think of the Sea of Galilee, which is kind of an arch at the top, the northern part of it. Capernaum's about right in the middle. Where the, where the uh, sermon has been proclaimed, where the feeding of the 5,000 has occurred, it's a little bit to the west. And where Jesus wants them to go is kind of northeast. Frankly, it's close enough that they could have walked. And probably about halfway through the night, they said, why didn't we just walk? And yet, they find themselves in this circumstance, in this very difficult moment, where they are struggling against the wind and the waves, and if we might be able to use those today as the challenges and the realities of the life that we face all the time, they actually found themselves, by the time Jesus gets in the boat and they pull up on shore, in the exact opposite direction, and they've landed in Gennesaret. They didn't even get where they were going to go. Do you ever feel like your life sometimes happens that way? You really didn't even get to go where you thought you were going to go. Or the script that you wrote in your head doesn't match the life that you actually live. Those are all those disappointments and the things that we've experienced. Now imagine the frustration for these disciples. They're experienced boatmen, many of them fishermen, say sailors, and yet what we know from the scriptures is they can't even work the sail because the wind is against them. They're actually at the oars. Now, if Jesus sent them immediately to the boat after this whole thing of the feeding of the 5,000, maybe that was at dusk. And yet he doesn't come to them, the Bible says, until shortly before dawn. These poor boys have been working 
they have been struggling their way, have only gotten themselves to about halfway across the lake, but are continually being pushed back the other direction. So here's my question. When the opportunity and the potential was that they really could have walked to where they needed to go, and Jesus said, go in the boat, and he knew, all-knowing, that they were going to be facing the wind and the waves and the challenges and the struggles, the question we've got to ask is, why? Why is it that Jesus is putting them in this circumstance? He immediately sends them there for a reason. What is the reason? Well, I think we find it in the text because there's a spot in the text where there's this really kind of quick statement that we can read past It says when Jesus does get in the boat with them eventually, it says, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They hadn't understood about the loaves. Well, that must be referring back to the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, they they just had this incredible experience of handing out food that never ever went, oh, if there was never a bottom to the basket. It just kept feeding all these people and all the bread and all the fish that God just miraculously multiplied. But it says here that they missed the meaning of the loaves. What's the meaning of the loaves? The meaning of the loaves is this is more than just the feeding of people. That final section of that little verse, it says, because their hearts were hardened. They couldn't see it. They couldn't imagine that there was something even more than what they had just experienced. Immeasurably more than just the feeding of 5,000 was the fact that maybe what they were missing was that the one who multiplied the food was not just the friend who accompanied them in their lives at this time, but that he is God himself self. Now we know from the text and we know from John's gospel as he goes on to say and record what happens the next day that the people believed that Jesus was going to be for them like a a bread king. He was going to provide what they needed. He was going to be a type of Moses who fed the people in the wilderness. Well here's this new prophet. Must be what he does too. When in reality, what they are missing, what they didn't understand about the loaves, what we often miss when we're called to be people of faith that is immeasurably more than we can even imagine or think, is that we end up seeing Jesus often without the awareness of him being truly who he is, God himself, the creator of all things. And the one who comes and invites us through faith to have and to know and to experience the same Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead is inside of each of us. What an incredible concept. The Apostle John writes, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. There's that bread stuff. And they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. He's so much more than a type of Moses. He is God himself. 
And I think we so often humanize Jesus to the point that we minimize his divinity. Matthew's gospel goes on, and, uh, as well as Mark's and John's and Luke's, to give us this account. And when you read all the pieces together of these various accounts of this wonderful event, it's quite a story. The disciples struggling. Probably about four o'clock in the morning, Jesus begins to walk to them on the water. And when they do see him, it appears as if he's going to walk right past them. Does it sometimes not feel to you in the midst of your winds and your waves and the challenges that you kind of say, Jesus, could you just come a little closer? And we reach out and we're still a little uncertain and our faith is one that is struggling to touch the hem of his garment. And he comes to them and Peter looks up, Matthew says, and says, invite me out onto the water. Bold question, bold request. And Peter goes out onto the water and what happens to Peter? He sinks. Why? Because he took his eyes off of Jesus and saw the wind and the waves. Can I just repeat that again? He took his eyes off of Jesus and saw only the wind and the waves. We do that, don't we? When we struggle with those uncertainties, when we struggle with the realities of life, when there's physical issues in our lives, when there's financial realities, when there's broken relationships, when there's worry about children who are not following Christ, all those things compound themselves and sometimes we end up looking so much at the circumstance that we miss out on seeing the divine master who is the one who has the authority over all things, so that when he gets in the boat, the winds stop and the waves are calm. Matthew's Gospel records for us that it says those in the boat worshipped him, truly saying, you are the Son of God. You see, they got it. Bingo! They got it. They got the concept, the idea that this is more than the bread king. This is more than a type of Moses. This guy who they're following, who they're seeing do these incredible miracles, is going to be the God who comes into their lives to invite them to a faith like they've never imagined before. Now, now the gospel's not quite done because it goes on just a little further. It says that when they got to the Gennesaret, all the people recognized Jesus. They saw him. They knew him. And they came. They came with faith and began to lay people in front of him that he might heal them. That they begged to touch the hem of his garment. And they brought and expressed that simple faith. The disciples trying to understand and wrap their heads around the big pictures of who our God is. And yet there's also those moments when we can just bring our simple faith to the moment in which we find ourselves. My dad is my hero. He's uh, 88 years old. 
He is a physical specimen. He's amazing. When we work together doing maintenance up at our cabin near Lake Tahoe, I'm the one who's gone, can we take a break now? And he just goes, no. And his whole philosophy in life is if you sit down, you die. So my dad just keeps moving. Well, he had the unfortunate circumstance and tragedy in our lives and in his life that his wife, my stepmother, passed away back in January. And my dad decided that as things kind of shifted for him, that he'd like to find ways to just be a little more connected to us. There are, there are three of us, the siblings. And so he said, I'm going to get myself a smartphone. I said, okay. And so uh, he got his smartphone, and we were together up at the cabin early in June, and, and, he, and he says, okay, how, how, do you, how do I use this thing? And it's one of those jitterbug things, so all the images are like this big around, right? So that he can see when poke the buttons, it's great. So I pulled off all the apps he didn't need and didn't want, and then we put on a few others that he did want. And, uh, and then he's sitting there and he's playing with it, and he looks at me and he goes, would you teach me how to take a selfie? And I said, Why? He goes, because so I can send pictures to you. And I'm going, oh, great, more selfies of my dad. And I said, sure, dad. And I was trying to show him. And so he's holding it up and he's taking pictures, which he took a lot of really nice pictures of the living room because he didn't quite get the fact that in order to see properly, you had to change the perspective. That's my point. We really need to make sure that we're changing the perspectives here. Because you see, when we look at the things of life and we look at the challenges of, of the journeys that we're all in, sometimes we forget and we look and only see the wind and the waves and the challenges and the struggles and the fact that we're stuck in the middle of the lake and it's almost done and we've really not gotten to where we're going. And as a matter of fact, it feels like we're actually going backwards. And yet what God would invite us to in that moment is to bring our little faith and let him grow it. It's what he does. It's what he does through his word. It's what he does through his sacraments. It's what he does through the encouragement of other believers. And he grows it. And he invites us to bring what starts as this simple faith. This simple faith that just says, Jesus, I just want to touch the, ed the hem of your garment. Uh, Jesus... I desire to have the forgiveness of my sins, the simple faith to believe that you are my Savior, that you have given for me the gift of eternal life, that as I take my last breath on earth, I'll take my next breath in heaven. Jesus, help me to know this, to know you. And that's why he came. And that's why he loves. And that's why he sacrificed himself so that we could have that. But I'd like to suggest that he also invites you to a trusting faith. A faith that grows a little bit more and it happens over time, you know, because I don't think the Apostle Paul got to where he's at in Ephesians 3. With this kind of perspective, without a few bumps, without being stuck in the boat, and feeling like he'd gone a lot of effort for not much movement. A trusting faith that says, in the midst of my storms, Jesus doesn't just accompany me, but the creator of the entire universe, all that exists, is with me. 
the one who rose from the dead victorious and defeated death and the grave and the enemy is with me. And then there's that faith that I'd like to encourage you to embrace and pursue. It's a faith that we often do together as the body of Christ, as the church, when we pursue and reach out for a deep faith, when we know we're in over our heads. You ever been there? When you believe that God might call you to something that you can't imagine that you could ever respond to it, and yet together you're able to do more than you ever imagined. The kind of faith where God says, I want to work through you because the world needs to know me too. It's not just about your faith. It's not just about the simplicity of that trust of I believe in Jesus. That trusting faith that says that you walk with me, creator of all things, every moment of my life, but that he has also given to us the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead into every single one of us to do in the kingdom of God for the purposes of God to see this world reached for Jesus. Our world, my friends, you know this, has gone through the last 18 months, and you know what they've discovered? The things that they were counting on failed them, ultimately. Okay, there were things that came forward and things that were positive, yes, but the most of things failed them. And we know who doesn't. His name is Jesus. I want to take just a moment as I conclude to tell you a story that I'm saying and telling everywhere because it's my picture. I believe it's kind of that little slice that God sometimes gives us that drives us that motivates us and I want to share it with you because I hope it grabs hold of you when I when I turned 50 I was pastoring at that time at, at Christ Lutheran Church and School in Costa Mesa one of our neighboring congregations here and the guys in the congregation decided that at 50 Pastor Mike was going to learn how to surf because I was in Northern California nobody goes in the water up there it's too blasted cold right and so they got me a wetsuit and they got me a board. If you're a surfer, I had a 10-6 board. It takes a lot to get this body out of the water. And so then they, my birthday's the end of November, so it was the Saturday after Thanksgiving that they took me out into the water. 52 degrees in my wetsuit, made it out past the break, got out sitting on a board. I'm... My buddy Chris is trying to help me out, and he's teaching me, and I'm getting up, and I'm falling down, I'm getting up, and I'm falling down, I'm, you didn't understand the story. And I finally got back out to him, and I'm sitting on my board, and I'm just exhausted. And I said, Chris, I'm sorry, I'm a lousy surfer. He goes, I'm, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I guess, not a surfer at all. And he goes, wait a minute. He goes, do you have a wetsuit? I go, Sure. He goes, yeah, do you have a surfboard? And I said, yeah. He goes, are you in your wetsuit on a surfboard in 52-degree water? And I said, yes. He goes, what other lunatic but a surfer would be doing that? And I went, okay, I'm a surfer. But when he began to teach me, my friends, he began to teach me about currents. He began to teach me about tides. He began to teach me about riptides and how a riptide can catch you, and if you're not careful, it will kill you. And that that riptide will carry you someplace where you do not want to go. 
He says, here's the problem. He said, too many people, so, but that's where my, that's where my backpack and my towel is, is back there on that spot on the beach. I have to go there. And so they push themselves to try to return to the same spot, and they end up sometimes getting swept away, drowning, or having to get lifeguards to come rescue them. He goes, you don't do that. He says, you allow the current to carry you down the beach. It typically will run parallel to the beach until it gets to a point where it turns, and then you can move up to the beach into a new place on the beach. That's my picture of COVID. God has taken his church and he has invited us to come out into a new place on the beach. But what I hear the church saying and that terrifies me, brothers and sisters, is the church saying, but we got to go back there where our backpack is. We got to go back to the way it was before. We got to go back to what was comfortable, cautious, and certain for us. Can I just say this to you? In our world today, what was in the past and normal for all of us, that ship sailed, didn't it? Things have changed. And the opportunity for the church is to say, where has Jesus brought us on the beach? What's the new thing here? Same words, same sacraments, same body of Christ, same buildings, same communities to reach for Jesus, but a new place on the beach. Are we going to fight it and get swept out to sea as many will? Or are we going to embrace it? Are we going to face the fact that we have fears when there's waves and winds? The question is, which Jesus is in the boat with you? Is he the one who can do more than you can even imagine or think? Immeasurably more. Or is he the one that you've limited to be only what you think he's capable of? This is a critical moment. I don't think there's been a time in my almost 40 years of pastoral ministry that's more important than this one right now. In the body of Christ, the world, St. John's, needs you to engage in that way. One final part of the picture, John chapter 21. The disciples have had a very confusing weekend. Thursday night, they're having a nice dinner party. They celebrated the, the Passover. They went out for a walk in a garden. They spent some time in prayer. Jesus gets arrested. He gets tried. He gets convicted. He gets crucified. He is taken down dead and buried in a tomb. Confusion. Sunday morning, these weird reports start showing up that he has been seen, raised from the dead. He's alive. And they're beginning to think and to remember the things that he had promised to do and it's beginning to settle in with their minds and then all of a sudden he appears in a locked room with them. How did he get here? Their minds are blown. They're processing. They're trying to understand the changes, the rush, the entire way in which everything in the entire parts of creation have been turned upside down because God has now just recreated it through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Peter looks at the other guys and he says, boys, I'm going fishing. I love that. When you're overwhelmed, what do you want? Something that's comfortable, familiar, and what I can count on. That's what Peter's saying. I'm going fishing. And some of the other guys go, we'll go with you. 
Can you imagine the talk that night as they fished, the processing of trying to understand things? And they fished all night, and what they catch? Nothing. And then a voice came from the beach. Put your net on the other side of the boat. And they caught more than they could ever handle. And when they came to the shore, you know who was there? Jesus was. He already had breakfast ready for him. I've always wondered where did he get his fish. But Jesus was there. And Jesus is here too, my friends. Right now in this moment in the history of the world, in the history of a world that needs desperately what you have, faith, confidence, and trust that when the storms come and the wind and the waves are against you, we have someone who is not just a companion, not just a prophet, not just a teacher, not just a type of Moses, but he is the creator himself, the son of God who has become one of us, that he would do for us what we could not do for ourselves and live in us with the power of the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead. That's who you are. That's who we are on the beach. And that's the kind of faith that is immeasurable more than we might ever, ever imagine. As I close with prayer, I'm going to pray the Apostle Paul's prayer. And I invite you to join me in your hearts. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may strengthen you to be, or he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. And the church says together, Amen.